When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Paul Bunyan Trophy is back in East Lansing. Michigan State takes down Michigan in the big house in one of the more shocking wins in the long and storied rivalry between the two in-state rivals. Mel Tucker wins in his debut in the rivalry, overcoming a 24-and-a-half point spread to win 27-24. It's the Spartans' first win in the series since 2017. Our reactions to the surprising result today on Episode 9 of MLive's Spartan Confidential Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, coming at you on Thursday, November 5th, 2020. Uh, Michigan State beat reporters Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel are also here to break down the game and look ahead to another road test for Michigan State as the Spartans head to Iowa on Saturday. Uh, Matt, Kyle, good to talk to you. We've had a few days to digest what we saw in Ann Arbor. Uh, Matt, how the heck did the Spartans pull off the upset? Ah, uh, well, I mean, it helps when you don't turn over the ball seven times, so that's a start. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they went in there with a solid game plan, both sides of the ball, and they outcoached and outplayed Michigan from basically start to finish. I mean, it was pretty, it was it was pretty pretty clear. Um, they were the better team on Saturday. They they I thought the early touchdown um, with from Rocky to uh, Ricky White kind of set the tone and. They just went from there, played like a confident team, played like a, a team that uh, had no problem putting the uh, stunning loss to Rutgers behind them quickly. Yeah, yeah. If, if you told me they were going to win that game, I would have guessed something fluky happened, whether, you know, it's turnovers the other way, they run some trick play, somebody gets hurt, uh, some key penalties. Um, and I know Michigan fans would probably disagree on the penalties front, but I didn't really think any of that was it. I just thought, like Matt said, they just went went to Ann Arbor and outplayed them in their house. And that was, to me, maybe the most surprising thing. Um, because I, I thought it was possible, but I thought it was going to take something fluky. But it didn't. That was a straight-up win. Yeah, you, you can't blame the refs when there's, you know, what, five different scoring drives or however many there were. I mean, that's that's everyone's go-to whenever they're upset with a, with a result, right? Oh, blame the refs, blame the refs. But the reality is, even in these games, and I'm guilty of it too, but the reality is, in these games, they're four quarters, they're 60 minutes. Sure, there are some plays that are going to, you know, maybe shift momentum. But when you're looking back on the course of an entire game, you can't blame a game on one single play with referees. I mean, it's like we were talking about last week with Rutgers. Was that was that blindside block call uh, a bad call against Michigan State? Yes, it was. But did that is that the reason they lost to Rutgers? No. So, I mean, Matt, the, the refs were early an early conversation in the game because of the way that Michigan's DBs were trying to be physical with Michigan State's receivers. What did you see on some of those some of those calls? 
Yeah, I mean, you're going to, there's always going to be, you know, pass interference will be about the most heavily, consistently debated penalty there is, obviously. But yeah, and, and you could argue maybe one of those could have gone the other way or not been flagged or could have been, you know, same thing could have happened for Michigan State on a, on a pass or two. But I thought what was the bigger takeaway was that Michigan had, Michigan State had a clear game plan. They thought their receivers had an advantage against Michigan's corners. They consistently attacked in that way, and Michigan failed to adjust. They left their guys out there to consistently get beat or to get flagged for a penalty, and they that was it. I mean, that was they had the better game plan. They had more talent on the outside than Michigan had to defend it, and that was it. I mean, they, they had, what, five pass plays of at least 30 yards, which to put that – I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a lot, but put it in context for Michigan State, they went 30 straight games – without a completion of at least 50 yards before the pinstripe bowl win last year, 30 games without a 50 yard <laughs> completion. And they had, or and they had two against Michigan. And that was in addition to the, the one Jaden Reed scored in the opener. So um, big change there with Michigan state um, going to a vertical passing attack, different than how they chose to kind of throw short against Rutgers, but it worked. I'm going to make a basketball analogy because that's what I do, obviously. Um, if you're playing a basketball game and the first five minutes starts out and the backcourt ref is calling hand checks, you know what you do? Put it on the floor, take it to the hoop, and get your foul, get to the free throw line, just like the other team's doing. So in that game, I thought it was pretty obvious from the start that they were going to call that pass interference or that holding on the defensive backs down the field, and that's just the way they were going to do it. So if you're Jim Harbaugh or if you're Josh Gaddis, dial up the deep ball too. Take advantage of it. I didn't think it was going one way. I thought it was just one team happened to be throwing deep and taking advantage of that. Um, yeah. So I, I think instead of complaining about, you know, the calls, uh, there was something they could have done about it, and they couldn't. And, and and to Matt's second point, I completely agree. They had the right game plan. but my, And I think it was clear that was going to be the game plan going in, but my doubt was whether they had the personnel to execute that game plan because we hadn't really seen Rocky – throw the deep ball consistently and throw it accurately. Um, he just wasn't asked to do it very much. Um, and I wasn't sure they really had the receivers, you know. Um, Jaden Reed was good in the um, in the outset, but he pretty much got shut down by Dax Hill. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think any of us on this podcast knew that Rookie White could step into Michigan Stadium and, and have almost 200 receiving yards. So credit to them. They had the game plan, but they also um, had some guys that were a bit of unknowns uh, step up and, and execute that game plan very well. Yeah, I mean, we briefly mentioned Ricky White as someone who could play in Trey Mosley's absence last podcast. No way any of us expected the true freshman to come on, burst on the scene like this. I mean, that was, that was an incredible performance by Ricky White. I mean, he was making contested catches down the field. It was so refreshing to see a Michigan State offense take shots consistently down the field. They were still trying to run the ball, so they were still jamming it up there to keep the defense honest, but... The plays that Michigan State's young receivers were making on the outside, you mentioned Jaden Reed got shut down. Jalen Naylor had a couple nice catches out there as well. Ricky White, though, let's talk about him for a second. I mean, he looks like he could be a star for Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, and again, this is you know a situation where I think we were talking about this in the press box on Saturday. It's like, well, how good did they think Trey Mosley is if, if they had if right. Ricky White behind him on the depth <laughs> chart? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think you're going to see Ricky White have, you know, be posting 100 yard performances every week consistently like this. Um, I, he certainly has the potential and, and obviously he showed his talent. Um, and I was really impressed, especially you mentioned some of the contested catches, his ability to 
there was one over the middle, I think, on a third down where I think he took a couple of hits and stayed on his feet. And it showed, I mean, he did not look like a guy playing his second college game. Um, but at the same time, I think that they're going to, it's going to be a week to week thing. We saw Jaden Reed in the opener. We talked about that. Um, Ricky's day last week. Uh, Naylor's been kind of the second guy both, both weeks and has the potential. And then, you know, we'll see what, what Trey Mosley can get back because I thought he showed a lot of good things last year. And then they have other young guys. I mean, <laughs> there was a point on Saturday where, and I think it was in the second half. Yeah, it was in the second half. Their three receivers on the field were Terry Lockett, Montori Foster, and Cade McDonald. That's two true freshmen playing in their second college game and a redshirt freshman walk-on. <laughs> and they threw and Rocky threw two straight passes to Cade McDonald. It was, you know, it's like, wait, what's go, going on here? But uh, I think they have a lot of confidence in, in their in their wide receivers. Um, and again, Ricky was one of the four guys they signed uh, at the position in this class. And there, there's certainly talent there. And I think it'll, like I said, not to be competitive, but I think it'll be a week-to-week thing who you're going to see as, as their top receiver. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if we if we see a game like that out of Ricky White again. But I think that that helped Jaden Reed, you know, because I think after the Rutgers game, uh, you know, opposing teams could look at that and say, all right, they got one good receiver, but we shade over to him. We put our best corner on him. We shut him down and we're good. Um, and now um, you can't do that anymore. Uh, actually, that's what Michigan did. Uh, and you can't do that anymore. They got enough other weapons. So I think we could see different guys um, busting out game to game. And I think Jaden Reed. Um, I'd be surprised if he's uh, if he's limited to that to that amount again in any future games, just based on what we saw on Saturday. Well, one thing we've seen it from Mel Tucker, at least early in the season, you know, Jordan Simmons was their leading uh, carry getter again and leading rusher. I mean, he's a he's a true freshman. We're seeing a willingness from Mel Tucker to play these young guys. If they're the best player and they give them the best chance to win, they're going to play. I mean, I think at times, D'Antoni, I mean, he had to do it out of necessity the last couple of years, but he seemed to have some of what of a reluctance and older way of thinking like these freshmen aren't ready. They can't play right away. But when you're for, you know, you know, prospective players at skill positions around the country in high school, and you're seeing these young guys at Michigan state go out and ball. I mean, Andrew Anthony comes to mind. He committed to Michigan, but we saw him putting out cryptic texts or tweets over the weekend. Uh, maybe that he might be reconsidering his commitment. I mean, it's got to it's got to be encouraging to some of these young skill position players when they see a willingness of Mel Tucker to put young players on the field right away. Yeah, and I mean, to Mark's credit, he 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 played more true freshman towards the end of his career, and 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 that was just I think part of adapting to a little bit of change, and then also the redshirt rule obviously helped in that in that respect. Um, but at the same time, this year, I mean, not only do you have a new coaching staff that you know, is beholden to nobody. They want to see who the best players are and they're going to play the best players. You also have, it's a free year of eligibility for everyone. So you have, there's no reason not to play somebody. If you think your best, one of your top five receivers is a true freshman or your one of your top three running backs is a true freshman or whatever, just get them on the field. doesn't matter. Play whoever's the best. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and I think it's also, you know, I think the Ricky White thing can be a shot back at everybody, um, hammering on D'Antonio's recruiting towards the end, which obviously the rankings fell off, but you know, they identified a guy like Ricky white earlier than some other schools. And I think he, he gained more attention when he, when he transferred to a bigger high school, had a monster senior season stuck with Michigan state and that's it. But yeah, I mean, playing early is always going to be a, you know, a pitch to recruits. Nobody wants to be told you're going to have to wait three years before you get on the field. <laughs> 
Kyle, what was your reaction to some of the stuff from Michigan post game? I mean, Joe Milton, we've seen it a ton on Twitter now, you know, allegedly not knowing who Antoine Simmons is, not having him in the scouting report, Harbaugh blaming the refs. I mean, I don't want to talk about it too much. We have a Michigan podcast that I'm sure has talked about this a bunch, but what was your reaction to the way that Michigan was handling this loss post game? You know, it's funny. A, a reporter came into the Michigan State Zoom and and brought that up um, to Antoine. Um, and when I heard it said, you know, a lot of times guys say something and it looks worse written down, you know, than it actually came off or you didn't quite mean it. But but I went and I actually watched the whole video of him saying that. And it, it doesn't look very good. Um, I, I mean, it's um, I, I don't know what um, I mean, if he really I have a hard time believing he really didn't know who Antoine Simmons was. Um, he's the starting <laughs> there but I either way, so. if, 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 that, if that's the, if that's the attitude um being that dismissive about a team that just upset you and beat you um I don't know so this again this is not a Michigan podcast but but something's got to change over there um if, if they're gonna um not have these types of I mean they had one two straight it's not like Michigan State is gonna kill them in the rivalry but to, you know to avoid games like this I mean um they should have done better than the last five years of the rivalry and they should avoid upsets like this and I I, I don't know Stuff like that just makes me wonder, I guess, is what I'd say. And respecting your opponent is the number one rule of sports. I mean, you, you you study your opponent. You respect that your opponent is also a good player. And whether or not Joe Milton, I had Michigan fans in my mentions yelling at me saying it's on Josh Gaddis, it's on the coaching staff for him not knowing who he is. No, you're the starting quarterback at a football team and saying something like that just comes off that you're unprepared and you don't respect your opponent. And it looks even worse when you just got when you just lost to him. So in a 24 point spread. So uh, just just was curious your guys thoughts on that, because I know it was a big topic of conversation um, on the on the Internet after the game. And Michigan fans are seemed I mean, based on I had some locker room conversations. I was on Twitter. They're fed up with Jim Harbaugh. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend against Indiana from a Michigan standpoint, because the heat is certainly on Jim Harbaugh at this point in time. Although I personally don't see him going anywhere at any point in season. But uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to point out or, or talk about? I mean, we saw no limited Elijah Collins again. He seems pretty firmly entrenched as the uh, third string running back, which is not something I ever would have thought. But uh, what do you what what's what do you what are your thoughts on the running back situation? Because this is shocking, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we still don't have a firm answer from from Mel about what exactly is going on. But, I mean, basically from what he has said is, you know, to repeat the same thing, is that playing time and carries are decided on production and practice. And that's what you see on the field. And I, let's be honest, I mean, again, thought Collins would be their, which would certainly get the most carries this season, be the starter. And in I think he played one series against Michigan. He just hasn't looked, he hasn't looked anything like the running back we saw last year, whether that's. And, and it doesn't seem to be injury related. So, I mean, you can draw your own conclusions there. I don't, I don't know what happened, um, but Jordan Simmons looks like their, their best runner. Um, he, I think he has the the most potential. It looks like for, you know, to, to pick up some big yards and you saw it with the 28 yard gain that set up their first score on Saturday. Um, and I thought, you know, everybody, you know, fans will give Connor Hayward a hard time, but you know, he started both these two games and he, and he give he plays a role that I, basically expected him to play coming into the season. You know, he's, he can, he can catch the ball, obviously got good hands. We saw that with two touchdowns uh, last week. Um, now giving him the ball on third and four or whatever, and running up the middle. I don't know if that's exactly the best game plan, but he, he does give you something. Um, but I think Simmons is your one right now, as far as the most carries and, and him and Hayward are kind of in that split role, depending on what you're doing, looking to do play by play. 
And obviously Hayward's good, good in pass pro too. Yeah, we talked about him being able to make an impact as a receiver. Uh, did that that last touchdown looked eerily similar to the uh, Madre London touchdown uh, yeah. a couple years ago? Was yeah. that, was that look the same play in the same end zone? No, I mean, it was same end zone, same direction. But the play, the setup of the play was different. I mean, I have to go back and look. But they ran that play, that one that they scored on Michigan with London. They ran that a couple times in 17. Um, but it was a little different. But again, a screen pass and a uh, ton of credit to uh, to – Sophomore center Nick Samak, who started for yeah. Brian Allen, he threw he threw the key block. Uh, I can't remember which Great defender block. he was on, and he locked his guy up and drove him right out of bounds. And Hayward made a nice little twisting dive, and that, you know you take a ten point lead with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That was you know obviously huge, and that was coming off that a questionable um, clipping call that they had got because Ricky White yeah. had just got that big catch down there down at the one or whatever, and they got bumped back fifteen. So it looked like they could have. Had to settle for seven, but or for three, but um, good play call, good execution. Would would um okay? So let's move on to Iowa. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about on this game, or just any reactions? I mean, this was obviously a shocking result. Let's wrap up the Michigan game here. I mean, pretty impressive win for the Spartans and Mel Tucker to win his first Big Ten game over Michigan in a game when they no one thought they had a chance. Yeah, I, I think that's my my big takeaway from this is that Mel Tucker really, really needed that. Um, you know, you talk about him coming in, obviously, in February. We, you know, we've covered all this. In February, Bailey gets his staff in. Bailey knows his players, shut down the whole time. You know, short preseason, um, the, the start versus Rutgers. I mean, it seemed like everything had gone bad for the start um, and, and very little through any fault of his own. So um i i think it was it, it's funny you, you can't tell if he's elated or really or has any relief or anything because he's if you if you guys watch his press well you guys do but if listeners watch his press conferences he, he's got this neutral thinking this nick saban focus on the process so he doesn't he doesn't show much emotion um win or loss he was pretty much the same after the Rutgers loss in the michigan win but you have to think he's relieved and feel like he has a weight off of his shoulders um, and he can recruit to that a little bit more, and maybe he's got a little bit of breathing room now. So I think it was a very, very big thing for Mel Tucker. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look, at, if you saw the video of Mel dancing in the locker room with the players, you know, whatever he can say, <laughs> he can say what he wants. But it obviously was a big win for him. And I think the the, the biggest thing is just the obvious, the buzz, the vibe, and the outlook for this team. How much it shifted and changed in just one week because this was a team that everybody had being roadkill in Ann Arbor. And now, you know, you look at, you know, going to Iowa and, and, you know, get, I'm picking them to win. You know, people picking them to win. So um, yeah, just, I think it just, you know, it was, was obviously huge and, and uh, you know, that first, not only first win for Mel, but uh first signature win. Yeah. Big win for Michigan state. And I hear uh, some people calling it the worst loss of the Harbaugh era uh, <laughs> conversely. So uh, Michigan, Michigan state, we got it early this year. It was a fun way to kick off Halloween for us Spartan fans. Um, so uh big win, but let's move on. The season continues. It doesn't end with Michigan and now more expectations from the Spartan faithful as they move into uh, their week three matchup with Iowa. So let's, let's preview the game here. Michigan state comes in at one and one Iowa's Oh, and two, they have, Close losses to Purdue and Northwestern. Uh, Matt, I was reading your story. It's their first 0-2 start since uh, like the beginning of the Kurt Ferentz era. Uh, it's a noon kick at Kinnick Stadium on ESPN. Iowa is a six-and-a-half-point favorite, although that line has been coming down since the start of the week. Uh, the over-under is 46. Iowa leads the all-time series 23-22-1. 
However, MSU has won the last two, 17 to 10 in East Lansing in 2017. And of course, the 2015 Big Ten Championship, which the Spartans won 16-13 on LJ Scott's last second touchdown. This is Kurt Ferentz's 22nd season. Uh, he's been there for a long time, and he's he's sort of uh, turned Iowa into a relatively steady program that can step up in certain years. The first thing I want to talk about, though, Matt, is uh, this line, I believe, when you it was like at nine and a half or something like that at the start of the week. I'm still a bit surprised Iowa's a six and a half point favor. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have guessed it to be closer to a field goal. Um, but again, you know, you the week to week thing in the Big Ten is going to be weird every, you know, the, the whole season. You're, you, I mean, <laughs> if you look at, you know, the Michigan Minnesota game to start the year and everybody thinks Minnesota is going to be decent. And then, you know, Maryland gets hammered against Northwestern, I think it was. And then they, you know, and then they beat Minnesota. I mean, I just I just think it all plays into the the, the shifts you can see from from game to game, week to week in the Big Ten. But um, no, I mean, I think Michigan State has as good as, you know, it should be about, I guess, a toss-up game is what I would say this is going into it. Because Iowa is 0-2, but those losses are by a combined five points. So, um, yeah, I would expect it to be a close game. What about you, Kyle? Uh, I think Vegas usually knows more than I do, is my uh, is my rule of thumb. Um <laughs> But no, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I always lost close. I, I just don't know which Michigan State team is the real Michigan State team. Uh, the, the real one is probably somewhere in the middle um, of, of the first two that we've seen. You know, I don't think they'll play quite as flawlessly again as we did on Saturday, but I don't think they'll they'll turn it over seven times either. So um, uh, I, I think Iowa being 0-2 is a little misleading, um, given what Matt said, you know, two very close losses. I think they blew, what, what was it, a 17-point lead at halftime um to yes. northwestern uh so i i think they're a little bit better than their record shows so i'm not surprised to see them favored uh started at nine it came down to seven like immediately after it opened uh, but it stayed pretty steady at about a touchdown since then um mm-hmm. so i think i think there's probably something to that um i would pick uh michigan state might get a little closer than that but i'd be surprised uh i would i would be picking iowa straight up yeah, Iowa's had to replace multi-year starter in Nate Stanley. Uh, Spencer Spencer Petras has gotten the first two starts of the year. They obviously use multiple running backs. Tyler Goodson, Makai Sargent, we see on the field mostly. Um, but they will not have senior receiver Amir Smith-Marset, who is probably their most explosive weapon. He's been suspended for the game uh, because he was charged with operating while intoxicated. Uh, seven catches for 84 yards on the year for him. But we've seen him be an impact player um, throughout his career in Iowa City. I mean, that's a big loss for Iowa, right, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think he was also, not only was he, you know, the, the leading receiver on the team this season um, behind a tight end, but, uh, you know, he was, I think he was the 2018 Big Ten Returner of the Year. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a you know, it's a senior, it's a playmaker, it's a guy you've been counting on for a while, and and now he's he's out. So it's obviously a notable loss for them, and, and you know, they'll you got to find next guy up type of deal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you get OWIs in college, man. Just every, all these schools have with Uber and, and Lyft. And, you know, when I was at central Michigan, they had, you could get a $3 cab anywhere in town. I just don't understand it. Like these kids got to use better, better thing. I mean, kids make mistakes. It is what it is, but you know, it's just, you just hate to see it. Um, looks like Iowa has been using uh, sort of a committee to try and replace the receivers on the outside. But Iowa and Michigan State, traditionally, these are two schools that, you know, they like to they like to win the game in the trenches. They like to say that play old school styles. They have coaches that want to run the ball. 
Um, but what I was wondering, and I'd like to hear you guys' reaction, is after what we saw from Michigan State last week with these weapons on the outside, do you think we could see a trend where Mel Tucker, Jay Johnson, they continue to to try and spread things out and get the ball to his playmakers and more of a vertical passing game? I mean, we haven't seen something like that at Michigan State in a long time, but maybe it's their best route to winning. Well, I don't think, I mean, obviously it's the strength of the offense right now. When you look at the first two games, you know, the running game has struggled. Um, it was just bad, flat out bad against Rutgers. And then, you know, it was, they, they ran the ball just enough last week, but um, I think, it, you know, obviously with, with Rocky playing well, throwing the ball well, and, and the talent they have on the outside, that's where your strength is. But again, Mel's going to want to run the ball. And he talked about it on, I think it was on Saturday after the game, you know, even if you're not getting the big gains, you still need to be plugging away, you know, the three and four yards and, and establishing some sort of physicality in the trenches he, he believes for, for you to be successful on offense. So, um, you know, it'll be a week to week thing again. I think we'll, wherever they think their best matchup is, they're going to obviously attack that like we saw last week. Um, but, uh, obviously, yeah, their, 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 their strength is, is in the passing game with Rocky and the guys. Yeah. I, I know a lot of fans probably want to see them completely open it up. Um, you like to see some other schools do, but I, I, I hear some of the same words and phrases out of Mel Tucker, Matt, that I did from Mark D'Antonio. Um, and yes. you do from a lot of coaches, just about establishing the run, um, and really letting that open up the pass. And that's one of the first things he said after Saturday, when I thought the story of the game was there was the deep ball they threw, you know, he, he's up there talking about, well, we never went away from the run. Um, so I, listen, I mean, credit to them for being willing to pass it a lot when that was the obvious thing to do, but th- this is never a team that's going to say, all right, well, we can't run the ball. We're just going to become a passing offense. Um, as much as it might be a little bit logical and my fans might like to see it. Um, I just don't think that's in the philosophy from what we've seen of these coaches. So um, if, if they can do like Saturday and run it just enough um, to keep team honest in the past, then then that's a good game plan to me though. I, yeah. yeah. I don't think they spent 750,000 or whatever it was to hire Chris Kapilovic as the offensive line coach and run game coordinator to be throwing the ball 55 times every game. I, I don't think that is in the cards at all. Yeah. And as exciting as that is anyone, Michigan state fan knows that that's not going to be the method for sustained success at Michigan state. I don't care how good your playmakers are on the outside. You got to have some sort of a run game to build off that. Cause I mean, Rocky, while he looked good, I'm not sure he's, you know, he's not Joe Namath back there. He's not, well, I just went to Joe Namath. I don't know why I went to Joe Namath, but uh, you know, like he's not, you know, I don't know if he's like an elite quarterback. It's not like you got Trevor Lawrence or someone back there. So you're going to want to build the ball. The thing that I'm encouraged by is that we seem to have a coaching staff that is willing to adapt in game or adapt week to week, you know, sort of like the Patriots do where one week they'll use four running backs and the next week they'll air it out. You know, it's it's nice to see a coaching staff that's willing to adapt and change week to week because, you know, I hate to go back to Harbaugh, but Michigan fans, that was one of their biggest beefs during the game is that he refused. I don't know about his stubborn pride or what it was, but he refused to make adjustments in game. So it's nice to see this coaching staff at least is willing to abandon certain philosophies if they're not uh, not working. But uh, do we know if they're going to have fans at Iowa? Nope. The, you know, this is, this is a big 10 mandate, no fans. So that's oh. not barring well, like friends, and friends, and friends and family though, same as the other ones. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think, you know, Michigan state Rock, did not have an, yeah. Rocky's Rocky's mom and his, uh, and his dad are expected to be there. And I think he, he might have his three sisters there as well, but um, you know, Michigan state didn't announce an attendance in the opener. Michigan did last week. And I think it was like 681 or 661 or whatever. And I, you know, for whatever that's worth, that's, that's, it's hardly a lot of fans, obviously. Yeah. 
Um, we did get one question before we jump into our predictions here uh, from a reader or a listener. Uh, well, I guess there were two, but they both had to do with with tight ends and the tight end usage in the offense. You know, the tight end hasn't really been a huge factor in the offense for a while now, although I, I think Michigan State would like it to be. They have a couple people. So, um, you know, they talked about zero tight end and how they kept them in and for protection last week. Um, we have a question about Dotson. Do you think he's the leading tight end to become involved in the offense? So, what have you been seeing from the tight end so far early in the season? It's not a position that we've been talking about a lot. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, with the coaching change in offense, there's a different, slightly different, you know, philosophy, I guess, overall. Um, but Jay Johnson has said he's the, the tight end is the MVP of what they do offensively, which, you know, take that how you want. <laughs> um, but, you know, Dotson, I thought, you know, come back from a torn Achilles, I thought he was solid against Rutgers with, I think, five catches for 50 yards, but he is the, the only one in the tight end group who has caught a ball this season. So I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen um, Trenton Gillison a little more involved. I think still think he's got a, a big upside. Um, but, you know, you, you have seen both, in addition to Dotson, you have seen both both Gillison and Berghorst in there. Um, and, and in these two tight end sets where I think they're obviously in there to pass, protect, and and try and, you know, establish something in the run game. But, um, yeah, neither – I don't even know if either of those have – to have been targeted at all yet this season. So um, I don't think that's so. a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, lots of things we could talk about here, but let's get into some predi- predictions. Uh, last week I went uh, not great. Not great for me last week. Um, I was, uh, where was I here? I'm losing my notes here. Um, so I was two for five. Kyle, you were four for five. Matt was three for five. None of us hit Ricky White as the first touchdown. We all had Simmons getting the most carries. We all said under for four touchdowns for Joe Milton. He actually had none. I thought Jim Harbaugh would bust out the khakis. You both went with the superstition uh, strategy, which was obviously correct. Uh, although maybe they'll come out this week since he lost. You never know. Um, and then the score, uh, me and Matt both thought Michigan would cover. Kyle, you are correct again on Michigan State keeping it close. I'm gonna get, I gave you a point for that because you had 28-14. So you're the king of nailing these uh, – you know, picking the under on the big spreads here with Michigan and Michigan State. It's a solid strategy. Well, it's going to blow up on me at some point, but I'll take it for now. <laughs> so through two weeks, you and Ka- you and Matt are both at five and ten. Uh, five out of ten, so five points. I'm four out of ten, so we'll keep it going here. Uh, let's do the same thing. Kyle, who's going to score Michigan State's first touchdown? Uh, Michigan State's first touchdown will be um, Jordan Simmons. Matt? Well, I was going to go with Jordan Simmons too, but I'll have to change it up. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Rocky Lombardi on a, on a, on a run just to throw something different in there. They have not scored a touchdown on the ground yet this season. So uh, get in goal line and, and, you know, put the ball in Rocky's hands behind, uh, behind Nick St. Mack or Matt Allen. I, I'm saying Jordan Simmons too. We're going to have to be the same on this one, Kyle. Cause I think, I think this game's going to be a little bit more run run heavy for both teams, despite what we just talked about. Both teams want to run the ball. I think it might be key in this game. I'm going to say Jordan Simmons too. Yeah, I, I was uh, going to say they have they have zero rushing touchdowns through uh, through two games, and we're all picking backs for the first touchdown. Kyle, who's the leading receiver for Michigan State in terms of yards? I'm going back to Jaden Reed. Uh, I think I talked about a little bit earlier. I think defenses uh, aren't going to be able to shade quite as much to him, uh, given what Ricky White did last time. And I think that's going to open it up. And I think he's the most talented guy they've got. So I think things uh, things are a little bit better for for Jaden Reed this game. I'm yeah, going to Jaden Reed too. 
<laughs> oh man, we're gonna be three for three on this then. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna pick Reed. That's okay. I mean, I think it's the smart bet. You know, I mean, the, the Ricky White comes off this big game. We still all thought Jaden Reed was gonna be the number one receiver coming into the season. It's coming off a down game. I expect him to get targets early and often. Uh, so yeah, Jaden Reed. I, I think it's fair that we all pick him. Uh, Matt is is Mel Tucker going to wear his what seems to be his go to look, his Spartan vest on the sideline? Uh, geez. Well, it's supposed to be, I'm no, I'm going to say no, because it's supposed to be, I think last I looked about 70 degrees uh, on Saturday afternoon in, in Iowa. So maybe that's a little warm for him. Um, but I, to be perfectly honest, I have not been paying attention to what, <laughs> to what Mel's been wearing on the sideline. That is not a, not something that's been a concern of mine. That's what weirdos <laughs> like me do. We're, we're concerned with his style on the sidelines. So, uh, I think he's going to wear it coming off the win. I'll go with your guys' a superstitious uh, strategy. Yeah, I was going to say, you asked me last week if a coach was going to wear the same thing he wore in a huge win, and I said yes and won. So I will I will again say that a coach will go out on a limb here and say a coach will wear the same thing he wore in a huge upset win. <laughs> um, over under 300 passing yards for Rocky Lombardi. I'm going to say under because, like I said, I think the run is going to be a little more involved in this game. Yeah, I'll take the under as well. I think, you know, two straight games thrown for over 300. I'll, I'll take it to go under and, and, and yeah, I'll pick that one. Too. Uh, I'll take the over just so uh, just so we have some difference here. I'll, I like going more and more. Cool. And then the score, like I said, it was a, uh, what did I say, six and a half point spread. This seems like it's going to be a pretty hard fought game. Michigan State and Iowa have had far, hard fought games in recent years. I do think Michigan State is going to win this one. Um, so I'm going to go with Michigan State 27, Iowa 21. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I picked 24 to 20 Michigan State win uh, earlier this week. Uh, I will take a 24 to 17 uh, Iowa win, uh, which I guess would be a cover. Interesting. You're feeling good about the Hawkeyes, huh? Yeah, um, I, I think, like I said, I think they're better than the record shows. Um, and and Michigan State, you know, it's so tough to follow up a game like that. Um, Michigan State playing like that, um, playing against Michigan. But we'll see. Has Mel talked? I meant to ask you this earlier, just quickly, because we're running long here, Matt. But has Mel Tucker talked about avoiding the letdown at all this week? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, obviously, he was asked multiple times about how you follow up a win at Michigan, and he basically said, you know, you know, the old cliche, the twenty-four hour rule, and move on. And he basically said it's his job to set the tone, and looking forward, and what's next, and that won't be a problem this week, is what he said. Okay. Anything else you guys want to add about this game, or are we we ready to wrap it up here? No, no, I'm looking forward to a seventy degree day in in Iowa in uh, the middle of, in early November. So that's fine with me. I am jealous because literally every single time I go to Iowa City, it is like below zero. That's like, don't go outside. You will die if you go outside, like type temperatures every time I'm there. So, uh, <laughs> you'll have to tell me what it looks like. Um, other I'll take yeah. a picture for you. Yeah. I, I covered a game in Iowa City once too in college. Central Michigan played at Iowa there and they actually upset them. And it was pretty hilarious to see all the Hawk, Hawkeye uh, staffers squirming in their press box, you know, swearing at the field, asking where the heck Central Michigan even is. That was pretty <laughs> incredible. Good food there at Iowa too, if I could remember correctly. So it's a great place for a game, usually a great crowd. Of course, they have the wave and whatnot there. Um, unfortunately, we won't be able to see, you know, the great crowd there. But, uh, we will see if that will help Mel Tucker and the Spartans. Suddenly expectations 
are higher for the Michigan State football team after the big win in Ann Arbor. Uh, noon on ESPN from Iowa City uh, is the game, so we will look forward to it. Matt, have a good uh, good time covering it. And Kyle, thanks, guys. Nice talking to you as always. Um, but until next time, thanks for listening, and go green.